0: Previously, we, we talked about those different aspects of things that we can do in our life to live more passionately to God. And we move into this last section, I want to just talk about the power. Stay on that word power a little bit. We're going to switch that to the power of our influence. Are you passionate about your influence? Are you zealous about the power of your example? And of course, we're talking about our Christian example. I want to tell you a story about someone that I believe is passionate about her influence, and that is my friend Leslie. Leslie is my friend from Ohio. Um, Leslie and my friend Joy were planning to be here this weekend. Um, Unfortunately, some circumstances prevented them from doing that, but but we are very good friends. We were friends all the time that we were in Ohio. and We were church friends. Um, We have dubbed the name for ourselves Soul Chicks, S-O-U-L Chicks, And every year we get together for several days of just having a good time, laughing, reminiscing, shopping, just enjoying our time together. And so we meet at some mutually agreed-upon spot. Well, a couple of years ago, we decided to meet up in Charleston, South Carolina. Of course they traveled from Cincinnati together and I got there several hours later than they did coming from Texas and they decided to explore a little bit, get their feet wet around town, just kind of see what was available. So they hopped onto a city bus that they thought would get them where they wanted to go and when they did that um, Leslie said to the bus driver, is this the bus that we need to be on? And the bus driver said, no, you need to be on the one behind me. Leslie said, oh man, I wanted to be on this bus because you just seem such like an enthusiastic and happy driver. To which the driver replied, well, I wanted you to be on my bus because when I opened the door, there was a glow around you. (laughs) And when you stepped on, there was a light surrounding you. You've got the spirit. (laughs) And so that developed into a short conversation about being believers and Christians. Obviously, the bus driver had to get with on a route. But have you ever had that happen to you? Somebody just immediately identifies you as a Christian because of a light shining from you? Well, interestingly, that is not the only time that that has happened to Leslie. Now, I think that's someone that's passionate about their influence. Someone that is so on the outside who she is on the inside. Also what developed there was this, however brief it was, it was a conversation about being Christians and believers. A couple of months ago Jeff and I were in San Antonio and we were doing a little shopping and we went into Ulta. I was looking for a product that would cover up a few lines and after seeing those photos on Facebook last night We're going back to Ulta, and we're going to back off the close-ups, okay? (laughs) But anyway, the the clerk immediately took me to the concealers. Without hesitation, we went straight to the concealers. And she's giving me all the attributes of those concealers and telling me all the great things that they're going to do for me. And she finished up her sales pitch with, Concealers and Jesus, they will both change your life. Which one do you need? (laughs) And I thought that was really clever. Here's just somebody selling makeup that's taking the opportunity to open up a possible conversation about Jesus. I mean, I want to be like that. I want to be like Leslie that just has so much love and joy and just so full of the Spirit that that just shines forth, that people recognize me as being a Christian. And I want to be like that clerk that can just take everyday situations or what I'm doing in the daily life and open up a possibility about a conversation and, and to be able to start that with someone. The power of our influence is great. It's great for not just who we see now, like our family and our friends, people that we run into, but it has some generational impact as well. And I want to relate that back to the pancake story. You know, while that word obviously means pan, you know, enthusiasm and energy to me, There's also some generational impact to that story. If you'll remember, it occurred back in 1996. Well, 21 years later in our family, we are still saying pancakes when it comes to showing enthusiasm and energy. And that's happened because we have just continued to do that through the years we have told that story over and over I don't know about y'all but when our family gets together we tell stories a lot we tell the same things over and over and over and we laugh just like we've heard them for the very first time but that's what we've done with this story and so the generations below us and we're hoping you know that they'll just kind of that continue that tradition of pancakes So that's just a little story that we're taking some making some efforts to pass down from generation to generation. What about your faith? How much more important is that? We know that without the next generation carrying the faith forward that it can die. We see that in Joshua chapter two. Israel is in the land of Canaan. They have been led there by their current leader. Joshua who followed in the footsteps of Moses in leading the people to follow God well Joshua has now died and we read in verse 10 of chapter 2 after that generation had been gathered together the generation of Joshua another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel one generation removed from a tremendous legacy of faith and the people have already fallen away from God. Now, we don't really know what happened. We do know they didn't follow God simply by example alone. Lack of teaching, you know, probably not. We don't really know. They probably were taught. Um, The fact is that maybe they just rebelled against the teachings and the example that they had before them and made a choice not to follow God. We know that even with our very best efforts, we cannot always get people to do what we would have them do. But that should not keep us from trying. While we can't be responsible for the output, we can be responsible for the, in, for the input. And so that's why I think we need a plan. And that's going to be our last word today that we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about a plan for passing on that legacy of faith. You know, um, as I said, the Israelites didn't just simply follow the example. Passing on our Christian heritage should be important enough not to just take that by happen chance, just to assume that those generations are going to adopt our faith simply by watching us do it, simply by something kind of like osmosis. You know, when Chase was about six or seven, we were at his grandparents' house, Jeff's parents, in Abilene. I was working in the kitchen with my mother-in-law, and Chase was across the house playing a game at the game table. And I hear this monotone voice from the other side of the house, Mom, I spilled my water. I'm like, well, Chase, get up, get a rag, clean it up, you know, get fixing it, you know. And my mother-in-law did not like the tone I used with him. She said, it's okay, Debbie, you know, he's not going to hurt anything. And I said, you know, I know it's okay, but do you think he's just going to learn things by osmosis? Well, about that time Chase walks by, osmosis is the transfer of water. (laughs) I, I know what osmosis is, Chase. Let's get a rag and get your mess cleaned up. But anyway, just as I did not believe that Chase was going to learn how to take care of himself, get himself out of messes, learn good behavior simply by watching me, I do not believe that we should leave our legacy of faith simply to chance, simply assuming that others are going to adopt that just by watching us. Now, I don't want to undermine the value of a good example. There is tremendous value in that. When others see you and they see that you're able to navigate your way through life with, with joy and peace, that you're able to get through struggles without total devastation and attribute that to your beliefs and your principles in Jesus Christ and God, that's tremendous value. But when it comes to passing that legacy on to the next generation, I just think it's important that we work at doing something that's more concrete. Faith is our most valuable asset that we possess. When we think about assets, we often think about our material things, you know, our homes, our money, the things that are in our homes. And culturally, we pass those things on um, in, in an often a legal way. We have wills that provide for the distribution of our worldly goods. Um, Sometimes, you know, if you're not doing that you may just have a conversation, but you'll, as my mother can attest to, you will see that you can run into some legal issues if you don't have things in proper order. So how much more important is the idea of passing on our faith and doing that with a plan? You know, God had a plan. God established an entire nation the Israelite nation, to be his light. It was his desire that they would worship and serve only him so that the other nations around would be able to to see the wonders that he performed and the miracles that he performed among them and attribute that to God. They would see the battles that he won, and things, when things weren't going so well for Israel, when, when they had turned away from them, they would also see what happens when God is not necessarily right there with you or when they have not allowed him to be there. So they were his light. And even though they, they had fell away and came back, fell away and came back, God had a plan for seeing God's provision to other nations. Within the Israelite nation, he had a plan for them to pass on their information from one generation to the next. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. He wanted his people to tell their stories. Psalm 78 It's a long psalm, and it just kind of recounts Jewish history. And we read phrases like, I will utter things, things hidden from old. Command our ancestors to tell their children. Tell their children to tell their children, and their children to tell their children. And we see the same sentiment in the book of Joel, where it says, tell them to tell their children that their children can tell their children, and their children to the next generation. That's several generations down the road. God wants us to tell our stories, and He wants us to do that often. We see in the New Testament that the tradition of storytelling continued. One example is Stephen in Acts chapter 7 at his stoning. He is about he is surrounded by an angry mob about to stone him to death and instead of speaking in his defense he uses that time to recount Jewish history, tell their story so that the people there can, can hear about the sovereignty and the faithfulness of God we've already talked about Paul a little bit Paul used stories he used stories to he also told stories of Jewish history but he used stories to um, tell of his own conversion to bring people to God. He talked about his shipwreck, um, his imprisonment, his own personal struggles in an effort to bring people to Jesus. And who is a greater storyteller than Jesus himself? Jesus spoke so many parables so that people that wanted to know him and understand more about him would relate to those Stories. So tell your stories. Tell them to connect the past to the present. Tell them to show future generations how just little things can make a big difference. And tell them so that future generations maybe won't make some of the mistakes that we have made. So part of a plan might be to tell your stories. Also, in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, God tells Moses to speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garment with a blue cord in each tassel. Those tassels were to be tassels of remembrance that the Israelites would remember God's commands. Do you have some tassels of remembrance in your home? Do you have some physical things that um, people can recognize? and think about, well, this was important to my grandmother, my mother, and shows that her faithfulness, you know, it might be your Bible. Is your Bible just worn and tattered in the pages? Those are my favorite kind of Bibles. You know, they're just worn and tattered. The pages are turned up. There's underlining and highlighting. There's notes written in the margin that when somebody picks that up, they say, wow, you know, this is a well-used book. Must have been important. Tassels of remembrance just can be different things. It might be a, a piece of paper tucked inside a book with some quotations or sermon notes or some favorite scriptures. It might be something like a hospital bill with a, just a note on there that show, d- depicted a p- particular time of healing in your family or a bank statement that says God came through in, in this financial situation. A few years ago, I was speaking at Graham Street Church of Christ in Stephenville, my home congregation, talking about something very similar. We're talking about tassels of remembrance. At the conclusion of that program, one of the ladies there came up to me and said, when she was in her 20s, and she was very new at Graham Street, and she's now, I don't know, Lynn Ann Mother, she's in her 60s or something like that probably. Anyway, she came up, she's about 40 years ago, and she was new, my uh, grandparents attended that church, and Lynn Ann, this lady, could not remember what she had done, but she had done some kind of service, and she had gotten a thank you note from my grandmother, just encouraging her and thanking her for her service, and enclosed in that thank you note was a handkerchief from my grandmother and I just thought that was so sweet that was just something I didn't I knew my grandmother was a sweet lady but you know just to hear that kind of personal contact and how impactful it was to that individual a few weeks later when I was visiting um, Lynn Ann brought me that handkerchief So that is a tassel a sweet sweet tassel of remembrance for me little note with that that tells that came from my grandmother and that kind deed that she did that impacted somebody so powerfully Um, all those years ago. I also have my granddaddy's memoirs. Um, Granddaddy wrote about his life just randomly, just told about specific events. He was an elder in the church for over 50 years. He taught. He was a high school principal for 30 years. This is my mother's dad. Mother, Granddaddy hand-wrote those memoirs. Mother transcribed them and typed them all that, which, believe me, was no small feat in itself because Granddaddy had terrible, terrible handwriting, (laughs) but we have that in all of the families, mothers, brothers, and sisters, and then the, the generation down, like his grandchildren. We all have a copy copy of granddaddy's memoirs and while it tells his stories you know fun stories just little incidences in all of that you can see how important God was to granddaddy he gives us words of wisdom which he was kind of known for anyway and just how God was working and moving through that that is a sweet tassel of remembrance for me and um Closely related to tassels, let me get just a that. closely related to tassels are memorials. Our present-day memorial that uh, we practice once a week is the Lord's Supper, and that, of course, we recognize De- Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. I noticed last week um, on the big screen it said, "Remembering the past and connecting the future." That's what we want to do with memorials. There were, and we know that the Lord's Supper, um, the Passover feast was a precursor to that. And if you go to Leviticus 23, you will find a number of feasts and festivals that were instituted by God. Times that depicted particular times in Jewish history that they would remember what God had done, that they would reflect on that. Um, we have a memorial like the rainbow in the sky, you know, it just reminds you of the story of Noah. And it's an opportunity to talk about how God not only makes promises, but he's a promise keeper as well. And we know there were other times in Jewish history when the, when the Israelites were crossing over the Jordan and the the priest stood in the middle of the river with the ark and the waters parted and the Israelites were all able to cross over on dry ground before they went into Canaan. God said, tell one person from each tribe to go to the dry riverbed and pick up a stone and make a memorial there so that it will be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So that when they saw that, they could tell that story of that particular time in history and just remember how God was working in their lives. So, Memorials, um, do you have some in your home? Do you have some traditions maybe that you do? A few years ago, um, I was in Stephenville again. I, I dig around up there a lot. At this particular time, I was digging through uh, old, old church bulletins, went back way back to the 50s, and I was looking for things about my grandparents. And when I was doing that, I ran across in one of the bulletins a photo of a pulpit that was used in the very first congregation that was established on that site, which was back in 1880. Um, The pulpit was last used in 1980 at the centennial celebration of Graham Street Church of Christ. So I asked the church secretary. I said, does anybody know where this, where this is? And she said, well, maybe. You know, so we started digging around. We went up into an old storeroom. It was just VBS, old VBS decorations, old curriculum. I mean, just stuff that nobody wants. Everybody's got a place like that in their house. And I'm sure we've got one here at church. Just stuff. And we found that pulpit. Um, and it was actually in decent shape. It was a little wooden piece was kind of uh, needed re-nailing, and it needed, of course, some dusting off. But it was in reasonably good shape. And I thought, that pulpit is a memorial to a cloud of witnesses, like we read about in Hebrews 12, a cloud of witnesses that 140 years ago decided that it was important enough to build a church building in that place, and it's actually the same site of of the current church building, so that families could come together and worship God. It's also a memorial to the story of survival, because in its heyday that pulpit was in a church and a preacher stood behind it and spoke great truths. but it had been relegated to a storeroom where nobody cared about it. Nobody even knew it was there. And then it was brought out and restored and it's now in the little local museum there in Stephenville um, to demonstrate that group of people that so faithfully wanted others to be able to serve God. So. 140 years is a lot of generations. Um, So God wants us to leave a legacy. He wants us to have a plan for that. And as I said, so do you have some special dates? I'm just going to share with you one of our traditions. We just started it a few years ago. Just um, Jeff and I did with our kids. We do this at Thanksgiving. We call it the Thanksgiving 50. Um, And we give each family, the two girls and then Chase and Rachel, the two girls and their kids and then Chase and Rachel. We give them $50 and we do this at Thanksgiving. And we we don't talk so much, but when we first instituted it, we talked a lot. You know, Thanksgiving is a time of being grateful, of recognizing those blessings that we have and just really focusing on that. So now we want you to take this $50 and we want you to bless something or somebody else. And so they have until we get together for our Christmas celebration to do that and then we all share what was done with that and that's been a really interesting um, thing to do Rachel can she could tell you her version of that but for me it's been interesting to see how the kids have grown how they put additional thought into that each year and and the processes that different ones used because we don't put any parameters on it. They can spread it out, give it to one person, and we started doing it to the family instead of individuals because we wanted them to come together as a group and make those determinations. So we plan to continue that and we hope that they will, hint, hint, (laughs) continue that tradition um, when we are no longer around. So obviously I think it's important to have a plan um, I want to share with you this book. Um, I'm not selling it, I, I mean, and which reminds me, if, if any of you have been getting friend requests from me, somebody has established a new Facebook profile on me, and they're asking for money. So I'm not selling anything, and I'm not asking for money. So if you see that, just disregard it. But this is called Leaving a Legacy. It's by Dan Garrett and Tim Woodruff. Um, I've read through the book a couple of times, and I've had the privilege of listening to Dan speak. They have a very unique way of taking your valuables, your worldly possessions, and using those to pass on your values, uh, your principles, your, your legacy of faith. And they have some unique tools in here of helping you to capture those family memories, the life lessons that you want to pass on. It is not one of those books that you're just going, I can't wait to get to the next page. It's not one of those. But it has a lot of good food for thought in it and a lot of good tools for helping you to think through creating your own personal family plan and how you want that to extend to the next generation. You know, we want our kids and our grandkids, we want them to have godly standards. We want them to be honorable. We want them to have integrity. Are you doing something to let them know how important that is to you? When you are passionately living for God, think about how you passionately want to pass on this tremendous legacy of Christian heritage that you have. Now, one last story, and then we're going to close. A couple of years ago, Jeff and I were in New Zealand. Um, We were on a bus tour and we were approaching Queenstown, New Zealand, which has a motto or the slogan of being the adventure capital of the world. Our tour bus driver pointed off to the right and there was another bridge over there going over the Carrowale, it's hard to say, Carrowale River, and they were bungee jumping off of that bridge. Believe me, I had never ever considered bungee jumping in my life. At that moment, that time, it was the first original site of the first commercial bungee jump. I don't know, there was just something about it, and Jeff and I just kind of looked at each other. Well, you know, that's kind of cool. Maybe we want to do that. So we had a few days in town, Queenstown, New Zealand. We were kind of busy with tour stuff, but, you know, we were still thinking about that in our heads. It's not, it's not really something you need to think about a whole lot, I will tell you that. So, our last day there, we had uh, a ad- high adventure boat ride on the Shotover River in a jet boat. And um, we did the boat ride, and uh, our guide on the boat ride, I said to him, I said, you know, when we get through here, we're going to go bungee jump. I mean, and you have to understand Queenstown is the venture capital of the world. There is all manner of extreme high adventure stuff, you know, bungee jumping, zip lining, these jet, these jet boat rides, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I said, ziplining, hang gliding, lots of different things. And so anyway, it would not be uncommon if you're talking to someone that lives there and is doing one of these high adventure things that they would have experienced these other things as well. So I said to the jet boat driver, I said, we are going to go bungee jump after this. Have you ever done that? And he said, no, I'm not that stupid. But anyway, we get back to town. The place where we got you know, got on the bus to take the, the jet boat ride was the same place that you sign up to do the bungee jump. We walked straight to the desk, paid our money, signed up. They wrote big black numbers all over us and said, be on this bus at such and such time. We had about 45 minutes in between. And i like, I got to keep moving, can't think about this too much, got to keep moving, got to keep moving, so time to go get on the bus, get on the bus, go out there, and then you've got to sign waivers, <laughs> you know how that goes, and like, just sign them, don't read them, and uh, they weigh you, and you know, you walk up to the bridge, and now it's time to get prepped, and so you're back there with the guys that are putting the harnesses on you, strapping up your ankles, and uh, they're just talking to you. Are you nervous? And you know, well, yeah, a little bit. And but they're really good about just just kind of keeping your mind off about what you're about to do. And so you finally, it's time to walk out to the platform. And I, there's a video of it. And you know, my my ankles are strapped together. And, and, De- and there are people say, Debbie, you were just walking in little baby steps. I'm like, my ankles are strapped together. <laughs> that's why you're doing that but anyway I get out to the end of the platform the person on the platform beside me that works there says smile to the camera you look you smile to the camera she says three two one jump and when she said jump I took a flying leap off of that platform like I had been bungee jumping my whole life it was a gorgeous swan dive I am telling you and I remembered that exhilaration. I mean, that adrenaline high that you get from that kind of thing was amazing. Now, I'm telling you, that fall was seconds, but I felt like I was flying. And when I felt that tug on my ankles, it felt good because I knew I was safe. But, man, I did not want that ride to be over. It was freedom at its best. Um, you spin around quite a bit. Uh, they drop you down a little bit, a boat in the river picks you up, you go over to the side. Got to the side and I got to watch Jeff make his jump, which by the way, if y'all see him, not nearly as nice as mine. (laughs) I told Greg Cummings I was going to say that, and he said, you might leave that part out, and I'm like, why? Why would I do that? Anyway, we get, you know, so Jeff gets over to the side, we watch a few more jumps, we're talking about our jump, eventually we get back on the bus to go back into town. It's about a 30-minute ride. Um, Everybody on the bus has experienced some kind of high adventure, bungee jumping or those other things that I was explaining to you. So we're all sharing our stories. There's a lot of energy and excitement and you know, can't wait to tell. And then we get to town, we get off the bus, and everybody goes their separate ways. And I remember thinking, I just, did you know I bungee jumped? That's why I wanted to tell people, like, do I look different? I'm a bungee jumper. Can you tell that? I mean, I wanted to, to proclaim that. So we ran into a couple that was on our tour, and we're like, we did it. You know, we bungee jumped. We got to tell them the story. They listened. We sat down to dinner at this little burger joint there, and this couple that sat down next to us like, we just bungee jumped. And we started telling them the story and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, I got to thinking about that in relationship to how excited I am about proclaiming God do I have that same kind of passion for sharing Jesus as I did about that bungee jump you know do I just want to go up and say look what I am experiencing I have God in my life do you know how amazing that is I don't think I well I know I don't do that and you know I think about that jump it was seconds it was seconds I have a lifetime of peace and comfort and knowing that I'm going to be able to get through any difficulty because I have God in my life. And just like that tug at the end that said, you're safe, I have a lifetime of knowing that I'm safe because no matter what happens to me here, I have a home in heaven. I have that promise of eternal life. So... I urge you to to kind of just draw in yourself and just think about that passion that you have of living for God. I want to have that same kind of passion for telling my stories and proclaiming, passing that heritage on that I did for that bungee jump. So tomorrow when you come into church and somebody says, How are you doing? You say, Pancakes! (laughs) And when Jimmy steps up on that podium and says, Good morning, church, I think we should all say, Pancakes! That might even throw Jimmy. You don't know. (laughs) But let's be like the psalmist that said, You, O God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. And never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Live passionately for God. Live that pancakes kind of lifestyle for God. Thank you.